0: Aloha! You're listening to the NBA Big Board podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm with my longtime collaborator Rafael Barlow. We've got some big news that we're going to share right after the promo, and we're going to talk NCAA March Madness, NBA draft prospects that we like. Looking forward to the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight. Got a lot of draft stuff to talk about. Let's roll. All right, he's Raphael Barlow. I'm Chad Ford with the NBA Big Board Podcast. And uh, Raphael, let's let's kick it off with the big news to start the podcast. You, I'm retiring. You're taking over both the this Big Board Podcast that you're listening to right now as well as our NBA Big Board newsletter. You can go over to NBABigBoard.com. Raphael's been working uh, with me for a while. So I want to start by saying congratulations. Um, it, it's it's awesome um, to, to, to have you... Not just full time now, but but taking over. And you know, I I'll start uh, by just saying that uh, you know I have been contemplating this for a little bit, but actually it's been more recently. And and I thought about when I did it, man. Who would I who would I really love to to take over? And and I'd really wanted to work with Raphael, and we had actually started working together in January. And um, I, I'd hope that that. You know, would be something that could last for a while. But you know, when I finally decided, look, it's time for me to retire. Some health issues, some uh, family things that I want to spend more time at, and just some professional stuff. I think a lot of our listeners know that I do conflict resolution and have been busy um, in that field as well. It's actually a really busy time for that right now. Um, that it was time for me to step down. Uh, I couldn't think of a better person than Raphael. He's connected. He's an amazing scout, uh, an amazing person. I think he, he fits with the tone uh, of what I like to do with the podcast and on the on the site. And so, um, Raphael, thank you.
1: <laughs> no, thank thank you. And I've, I've been sharing the story often over the last four days. And uh, I think it's just starting to hit me now. And I, I know you probably don't want to hear me praise you for the next <laughs> four or five minutes. But thank you so much for the opportunity. When you reached out to me, I was kind of like... In, in shock in a sense like you know you've done so much for other people you're a pioneer in this space and then out of all the people you chose me and as i mentioned in the the video it, it's a little bit of pressure i mean I'm, I'm up for the challenge but at the same time i, I have big shoes to fill and um you know c- congratulations to you on such a a long great career and i'm looking forward to just seeing what what you do next in your in your next stage in life but again just thank you for the opportunity thank you for i guess in basketball terms throwing me an (laughs) alley-oop and now i just gotta i gotta score
0: well i look i appreciate that and um you know it's it's interesting that uh it has been a long career and uh and and often me juggling multiple things at the same time it started with a internet company that i started called sportstalk.com with a friend of mine jason peary uh, sold the ESPN, many years at ESPN uh, before leaving and and taking a full time teaching job in Hawaii. But then coming back and, and then spending another decade doing the draft uh, for them, and then the NBA Big Board podcast with with the Locked On, and and then ultimately this um, this newsletter. And, uh, you know, I, I feel good. I feel like yeah, a couple of decades at this, um, I've had the chance. I, I feel like there's a lot of great young talent uh, out there on Twitter right now doing the draft that are going to take it to another level. You're right there at the top for me, and and, and, and I know you'll do a great job. And uh, I'll make sure – this won't be my last podcast. So I'll, I'll have a couple more, uh, but maybe on the last one I'll, I'll share some um, some of my favorite draft stories uh, that, that I've just – been around over the last, uh, you know, the last couple of decades. I, I've been sort of contemplating that and mulling that over uh, the last uh, week or so after I finally decided it was time to, to hang it up. And uh, you know, we'll we'll do some we'll do some sort of retrospective um, at the end.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. That's something that I mean I haven't mentioned it to you, but I was thinking either your last or my first podcast. I want to hear some of your crazy stories because this is my first year. Traveling abroad, like full time as a scout, and it's not as glamorous as it may seem. You know the small hotel rooms, the travel, trying to get to these random small cities in Europe. It's not as glamorous as it may seem, but it, it's challenging. And just this one year, not even a full year that I've been doing it, and just trying to juggle that and and the podcast and the big board. It's really work, but I always say that. There's a lot harder ways to to make a living than watching basketball so i am so grateful and thankful for this opportunity
0: it is a lot of work and you know you you, you're putting in the grind i've put in the grind for a long time it's fun work though right it's there's there's work that's painful work and there's work that's fun work and it's absolutely fun work and and like you said there's so many things that uh most people would die to, to be able to do what we get to do uh, on, on a daily basis and I recognize how lucky and blessed I've been and how many people have helped me along the way and uh, that's probably enough uh, you know to be at the end of the day people are in this podcast because they're like hey what's going on with the draft right now and so I, I want to just go ahead and pivot to the draft we had great weekend and March Madness uh, always my favorite man the opening weekend because there's so many games there's so many upsets my bracket is like devastated it's maybe maybe may it be the worst bracket I've ever ever produced uh, in in the history of brackets for me it's it's bad bad uh, every upset I picked wrong uh, every team that I thought was gonna go deep wrong uh, I only have I have Gonzaga left uh, and Purdue is left in my um and then they can meet in the final four, but that's it. Um, so, oh no, I guess Arizona's left. I guess I got three of my four um, left, but
1: yeah, you're in good shape. You might be in the top <laughs> Maybe there. maybe
0: I'll end up doing better in the Sweet Sixteen <laughs> in uh, March eight. I know you had Iowa in the finals, so that's 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 yeah. Painful. I had Iowa and I had Auburn and, um, in the finals, so they're done.
1: Yeah. What's even crazier is I had just uploaded a podcast. Can Keegan Murray have a Carmelo Anthony type run? I just thought like with his dominant performance. He was the type of guy that could carry a team and within 4 hours of re- uploading that podcast, it was kind of obsolete in the sense and but I don't know, I haven't looked at mine since Iowa lost. I actually was able to like enjoy the weekend and not <laughs> worry about my bracket. Yeah. But with all the upsets, I actually might be in a decent spot because I know like I was in a bracket with a lot of Baylor alums so I know they all had Baylor going to the the national championship so I might be in in good position I'm gonna have to check it out later on but after Iowa lost and Kentucky lost I was just like uh, I don't I don't have a shot at, at winning so no need to even look at it. let me just go ahead and enjoy this from a from a fan perspective
0: yeah you know it's um at the end of the day we're, we're all none of our brackets are going to be that great uh and uh you know, I've never been good at this, by the way. Never been good at predicting uh, the the tournament. And yeah, I used to pick Kansas every year, and then they broke my heart. And then the year that I didn't pick them, they won the national championship. So from now on, I never pick Kansas, thinking that maybe somehow I'll jinx them. And, and they actually, their bracket looks pretty good. Uh, you know, coming into the Final Four right now, I, I'm I'm a bit happy for them. Uh, we'll we'll see, because uh, as as we said, you know, Baylor didn't think they were going to get upset, and Iowa didn't think they were going to get upset. So you never know. So let's let's start with um, the 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 big the big uh, the big matchup, which was Jalen Duran Chet Holmgren. I think everybody wanted to see that the number one guy ranked in his high school class versus the other number one guy ranked in his high school class before he reclassified. Both centers, we knew they were going to guard each other. Uh, Duren had foul, foul trouble, but we definitely got to see them head to head in this matchup, and. Neither guy liked their best game. I, I think maybe that's the, the best way to, to put it. Chet gave Durin fits defensively. Durin also gave Chet um, fits defensively. And so, you know, together, that's, uh, you know, really difficult. But I'm curious, like, what you saw uh, from those those two guys in, in their in their matchup and, and what you think about their draft stock based of seeing maybe the two top big men in this draft go head-to-head. I don't think that you you left with a
1: clear-cut answer on either prospect. And I like to go on Twitter sometimes and just see what other people are thinking. And I felt like when I typed in Chet's name or or Dren's name, it was so divided. Whether you If you had questions about Chet, then you are justified and saying, see, he struggles with physicality. He can't guard guys that are stronger than him. And then if you are a big pro-check guy, you talk about how he stood up to Memphis trying to attack him early. He had four blocks. And then same thing with Duran. If you felt like, I like this guy's potential, the youngest guy in the draft. He showed some flashes there. And if you felt like he's still raw. I mean, I just felt like you got whatever you were looking for. I don't think either guy came out as like improving their stock. I will say... Chet showed his toughness. I, I actually like the fact that Penny went at him early. It was like they were running plays for Duran, which is kind of weird to me because I don't think Duran is a guy that you just dump the ball to in a post and say, "Hey, go get me, go get me buckets," because he's looking to power and dunk everything. But it, Chet showed that his length can affect you know offensive players, no matter how wide and how strong they are. He just finds a way to block shots and it's like he's blocking them flat-footed and then with Duran I felt like well you know what maybe if he had a little bit of a soft touch finish package around the rim instead of trying to power up and dunk everything he could have been a little bit more effective but I think I think both guys showed some flashes I mean some people are gonna remember the dunk where Duran just dunked on Chet and Chet got called for a flopping. I think flopping was probably the best decision he would have made because if he would have jumped, he probably would have got <laughs> dunked through. But overall, I thought it was a very good and entertaining game from a fan perspective and even from a draft perspective.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I think um, that I came away from this, I feel better about Chet defensively after watching uh, his ability to guard Durin. I felt... Less good about him offensively. Um, watching him play against Memphis's athletes, at, who they they have one of the more athletic teams in college basketball, and and are more gonna look like an NBA team that that Holmgren may play against every night. You know his ability that we've seen all season for him to attack a little bit off the dribble to get to get get to spots on the floor or whatever. That he wasn't having any of that uh, with Memphis, and it it made him look a step slow. Uh, where you didn't necessarily see that in the WCC, and so you know, I came away kind of with this mixed feeling with him. Okay, I'm I'm feeling. I saw the toughness. I saw him face you know great athletes, and he he's never going to back down. He's always active. He's he's constantly moving. He feels the game and and has a good sense of the game. But I wonder if I wonder what he's going to be offensively in the NBA uh, when you see some of the stuff that he can clearly do but maybe doesn't have the quickness and athleticism to do it well uh, at the NBA level. I I think that's going to be the the question mark for me, which opens the door, right, for a potential Elite Eight matchup with Paolo Banquero uh, of Duke, who continues to show the entire bag offensively.
1: Yeah. Well, when I look at Chet's stats, and I did a behind-the-numbers video on him a few weeks back, He gets a good chunk of his points in transition as like the transition trailer or dribbling into transition three-pointers at the top of the key and then he gets a a few of his points from offensive rebound so with memphis's athletes and physical players he wasn't able to get those two to three offensive rebound putbacks that he normally gets and then he missed all three of his three-point attempts i don't remember if all of them were in transition But once you take those away from him, he has to be set up for his points. You have to, you know, give him a lob. And I think that that was a little bit concerning for me because he didn't have any advantages on the offensive end. But also you can say maybe he's deferring because Drew Timmy is clearly their best player. But I also think that guarding Timmy in practice probably has made him a better defender just because you know, Drew has so many up fakes, pivots, and so on. And I think with, with Chet, by him being probably patient, guarding Timmy, just using his length, it makes it much easier to guard like a, a, a Jalen Duran who's not going to have as many counters. And so, like I said earlier, I think both showed some good flashes, but there are some, some things that kind of stood out that, that
0: make, you know, make me a little bit concerning. Yeah, so... I don't, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's it's interesting to me. I I kind of came away from the game saying, mm, kind of 50-50, uh, right? Like, I, I don't necessarily think this helped the stock, but I don't think it hurt it either. But it, it has been interesting just talking to a few NBA guys that it seems to have spooked them a little bit more. Uh, than I than I thought it would during as well. Uh which, you know, again, I, I think both of them maybe spooked NBA guys a little bit more than than I than I thought, where I kind of came away with this as it's a wash. Uh, and then you got Ben Caro. So now let let's let's face it. Let, Duke has to get by Texas Tech. That's no easy feat, especially the way Duke's been playing lately. I'm I'm not totally confident that they get to that Elite Eight matchup. Gonzaga has also struggled a little bit, and they're, they're going to have to um, get past Arkansas. And this Jalen Williams-Chet uh, Holmgren matchup certainly seems like it, it could be an interesting one as well. But I, I, I want to think about Bancaro and talk about Bancaro for a minute. It may not happen, but we did get to see them once in November play each other. They played each other in high school. But th- these two guys came into the season. They're the number one guys uh, in in the draft, they're going to be the guys that are most likely to be number one. Jabari Smith, uh, Jr. and to a lesser extent, Jay Nivey have have crashed that conversation a bit. Is you've been you've been on Team Bancaro all year, and I haven't been. I I think he's a good player. I think he's a top four pick. But this is an area where you and I have disagreed. Man, that was it was tough for me because I thought Bancaro looked really good that, uh, this weekend. He looked the part more than anybody of the number one pick in the draft. Um, and if, if Duke and, and Gonzaga meet, meet, match back up in the elite eight again, I kind of have a feeling that this could be Bancaro's game. Well, I've been biased all year,
1: (laughs) so I, um, I'm not shocked because I feel like out of the three bigs, he's the one guy that I feel the most comfortable with that I can give him the ball and he's going to either get me a bucket, draw a foul, Create a look for someone else, or at least get a good shot. And so I think that you know, if the game is on the line, I feel more comfortable with with ben Carroll having the ball. Now Drew could be, I'm sorry, Chet could just be deferring because I mean, it is in a sense Drew Timmy's team, so maybe he won't have that same that same opportunity. But I felt like he kind of shied away from the ball as as you know the game got close. And then with Ban Carroll, he made big plays down the stretch on both ends of the floor. You're starting to see a little bit of the passing that I've been praising all year. I think he had four assists, but I'd say he could have had six. I think I know there was one where kills kind of missed the layup but got the offensive rebound, put it back at the and I think there was one that Mark Williams kind of bobbled. But I like him as an interior passer. He has good chemistry with Mark Williams and I just think that he is this weapon that you can give the ball to in the post he can knock down threes well he's not the most consistent but he he shot the ball well from three and then the passing just opens everything up for Duke so I'm I'm happy because I've been pushing this Ben Carroll bandwagon so if he would have had a bad game I I know social media on Twitter would have my mentions would have been in shambles (laughs) because either you like Duke or you hate Duke so it's kind of
0: it's, it's interesting because I, I, I also think Boncaro's in a unique situation with four other guys that probably would be the man on most NCAA Division One basketball teams. Like the top guy, the top scorer, the, the best player on the team. And so there is always this who's going to step up every night, who's going to get the ball uh You know, whether that's Wendell Moore or uh, Trevor Keels or AJ Griffin. And then he's also playing with another big in Mark Williams. And one of the interesting things is, you know, one of the things that you love about the Gonzaga um, Duke matchup is they're they're essentially deploying two college centers out there. Both teams are. And so, you know, whether it's Mark Williams versus Chet uh, or whether it's, you know, Timmy versus Boncaro or vice versa, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to to see uh, going forward. I'm still of the camp even though Boncaro persuading me right now. And I, I think he's a justifiable number one pick in the draft. I, I I do. So this is not hate. This is sort of like Cade Cunningham territory I'm getting in trouble with. It. Please, I hope the Pistons don't draft uh, Boncaro or they're, they're going to go crazy over this again. But I just don't know. I, I'm at that sort of same spot where I was stuck with, with Cade was – Cade was clearly the like most skilled, most talented guy in the draft. That, that was clear. I think Boncaro probably fit especially offensively, Boncaro sort of fits that bill last year. But Mobley and Barnes just did stuff athletically that you know Cade just doesn't do. And so to me, their ceilings go higher and they're more intriguing as two way players and and you know their size and athletic gifts give them the edge in my book. And I, I feel the same way this year about Jabari Smith. I feel that way about Jaden Ivey. I feel that way even to a certain extent about Chet. And so, you know, this is what going to be one of these cases where I think Boncaro probably comes in, most likely, you know, going to put up big points the same way Cade's going to put up. But can he have that two-way impact? And is his ceiling as high as those other guys? I, th- I think that's the sort of question um, you know, does Bancaro ever become a superstar in the NBA? I, I have a hard time seeing that. Making multiple all-star, all-star teams, I can see that. Uh, being a, a superstar in the in the league, like, you know, maybe his career is like Al Horford uh, or Julius Randle. Uh, you know, something, you know, sort of like like that. Like, I could see that for sure. Um, but I, I just see that higher ceiling for Jabbar. Bigger risk, big, big risk, which at Holmgren, in my opinion, somewhat of a risk with jaden Ivey as well um but i just see their ceilings as higher and
1: you know what i i had some of the same concerns about jason tatum okay i guess fair years ago i thought that he could score but i felt like he took a lot of tough contested shots and he lived making these ball stopping iso contested mid-range pull-ups and I didn't think that, I mean, I, th- I think Bancaro's a better passer than Tatum is, but I was wrong about Tatum. I was, I mean, you know, injuries have played a role, in, but I was all in on Markel Fultz as, as the better player. And it was just something about Tatum's shot selection that I didn't like. And I'm starting to think that a lot of people are having similar concerns about Bancaro's that they had about Tatum. So if Bancaro ends up being like Tatum, but a better passing Tatum,
0: then I mean I think that's a justifiable number. That's uh, that's actually a great call. Uh, I I had very similar concerns about Tatum and I was I was just wrong uh, on him. I, I was also Team Markel Fultz all the way. And, uh, and and again, there's some weird stuff happened with Markel Fultz. You still see flashes of Markel Fultz do stuff, and it's just it's just wow. But um, you know, Jason Tatum, top ten player in the NBA, and uh, I was just wrong about him. Let's talk about a new sponsor, NBA Top Shot the official licensed NFT of the NBA, Connect with a community of hundreds of thousands of NBA fans as a natural progression of fantasy sports, a way to upgrade your experience as an NBA fan. This is what the future of being an NBA fan looks like. It's part trading cards. Every moment of Top Shot originates in a pack. Unlike trading cards, there aren't still images on cardboard. They're officially licensed NFTs, are the greatest moments from NBA history. akin to the stock market for the NBA, every day millions of dollars worth of NFTs are traded back and forth between tens of thousands of NBA fans around the world. Fantasy sports is that every night you have the ability to capitalize on the market if you're able to predict top performers and it's sort of like an airline loyalty program for the nba they actually flew collectors out to game five of the nba finals based on having sons moments they flew collectors out to the nba draft based on having rookie moments Uh, they got to have dinner with first round picks the night before they were drafted they got to play basketball with obi toppin and tyrese halliburton really cool stuff investors include michael jordan kevin durant not to mention will smith there's also a lot of nba players in the community like tyrese halliburton cole anthony and harrison barnes And I hear people ask all the time, I ask the same question, like why would I buy a highlight when I can watch it on YouTube for free? It's not just about watching a highlight, it's about having ownership stake in something that's akin to a stock market for the NBA's greatest highlights. And if you were to tell someone in 1916 that your piece of cardboard with Babe Ruth's face on it would be worth millions one day, my dad had a Mickey Mantle card and he gave it away and I could have killed him later, uh, everyone would think you're crazy. This is the opening tip of a digital age, and the NBA's officially licensed NFT will be a big part of that digital age. Imagine when the NFTs are even mainstream on social media, you'll be able to flex what you own around the world instantly, no binders or shoe boxes. And if you sign up for Top Shot today, the best way to start is by getting yourself a starter pack. You can pull an NFT of a superstar like LeBron or KD, or star rookies like Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley for $9. And if you don't pull your favorite player from the starter pack, you can snag moments from the marketplace that appeal to you. That's our new NBA sponsor, Top shot. All right. Interesting. Top shot is.
1: Yeah, my dad had a Roberto Clemente car Ooh. that we went to his mom's house looking for. <laughs> we never yeah, found yeah. it. Somebody has it, and it's, it's worth a you know pretty penny.
0: okay we talked about those guys on nbabigboard.com right now you have a piece about jaden ivy asking the question what's the case for jaden ivy being the number one pick in the draft you were really impressed with his ncaa tournament tournament performance purdue also looks like they've got a pretty interesting pathway to getting uh to, to the final four here which is great news for for ivy to showcase his stuff what do you like about Jaden and Ivey and what what does he still need to show for you uh, to be seriously in consideration for the number one pick? Because I know you've resisted that. I've, I've been more in on Jaden Ivey should be in the mix. I know you've resisted that a little bit. But at least according to your piece, you can go read the whole thing, including a video breakdown from Raphael of Jaden Ivey's game over at NBABigBoard.com. What is it that's appealing to you? Well, we all knew that he was a –
1: you know, just a freak athlete, the competitive fire, all of that. But it's the shooting. And so props to you for, I mean, I think back in like November, you were saying that he has an outside shot and, um, and I think he has a chance. I mean, I don't know if there's anything that he can actually show that will push him ahead. I just think that, you know, if Purdue has a deep tournament run and, you know, Jabbar is already out and if, you know... Chet this doesn't. If Chet looks like he did in the first round, then I mean, I think that kind of cements him as the number one pick. But I think Ivy just has an opportunity to really make a, a, a name for himself in a sense as the top pick because he'll have the ball in his hands a lot more. He's going to make some electrifying plays. Uh, I mean, he's going to will his team to victory. And I was really, really impressed with the dagger against Texas, you know, the knock on Ivy is he's not a great shooter, or maybe he needs to work on his shooting off the dribble, but with the team only up by three, a minute left in the game, he wanted the ball, cleared out, shot a tough step back, which, I mean, his step, he got the space needed on his step back, because you have to respect his speed in his first step, but he was calm, and how he just drained that step-back three. I like the fact that he wanted the ball when the game was on the line, in a sense. And, you know, I've said it before, the success of Ja Morant has to make you wonder, like, all right, if Ivy can be, maybe not the playmaker as Morant, but if he can have that type of impact, then, I mean, that's number one pick worthy. (laughs) So I think maybe in a sense that we've all kind of, gave the you know, not saying that Chet and Jabari and Paolo aren't deserving of it, but I think we've all kind of assumed that those three guys are gonna battle out for the number one spot and Ivy has an opportunity to say like, hey, I'm actually the best college basketball player in in the nation right now.
0: Yeah, to to me, and this is just to me, uh the if I'm a general manager and and I I don't have a, a, a pressing need that maybe shifts the needle just a little bit. The two main guys that I'm looking at with the number one picker, Jabari Smith and Jaden Ivey, I, I I see the highest ceiling for both of those players, and 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 I I lean Jabari Smith because of his size and his shooting and his shot making ability. I, I'm confident in the NBA he's going to be a lights out three point shooter. I think he's the best shooter in the draft, um, frankly, and at you know six ten that's awesome. But what Ivy does, like I think John Moran is right. There's that electricity to the way that he plays the game. Also, this aggressiveness that he plays to the game. There's a mindset there. He's a killer. Uh, he wants to get downhill. And one of the reasons I think that I was early on him, like I talked to scouts, and you know, scouts were telling me this, is there's just like, you have to imagine uh, Jaden Ivy in NBA space, uh, not on the the team of Purdue that loves to run things through the post, whether that's to Travion Williams or Zach Eady or what have you, like you have to imagine him uh, in NBA space where he has more ability to do the things that he does. He's going to be unguardable in the NBA in ways that he can be more guardable. Guardable in and college basketball player because of the way that there's just, there's not the same spacing uh, that there is in the NBA. And that was sort of the, the question mark when a scout said that to me. And this is the cool thing about the draft is people say, well, why isn't Hunter Dickinson in your top 10 or Drew Timmy uh, in your top 10? These guys are awesome. They're putting up huge games that it's actually Drew Timmy, not not Chet Holmgren who's carrying the team uh, or Hunter Dickinson or whatever. And the answer is like in college, that's right. Same with Luca Garza last year. Like they're incredibly valuable players in college basketball. They're good players, they're great. They when they get to the NBA defensively, they are going to get roasted every night. They're going to be virtually unplayable. Uh, at the next level because they, they just require require bigs to be able to guard in space and to guard on the perimeter and move their feet well. And these guys, the guys can't do it. They get roasted at the college level, but there's enough other stuff that they bring to the table. And and you have to project the other way as well with somebody like Jaden Ivey, like what will he be able to do in the way the NBA plays, that he isn't able to do because of college basketball and especially sort of the system that he plays uh, in at Purdue. And that's when you start, that's when I start getting really excited about Jaden Ivey and saying we, we haven't really seen Jaden Ivey unleashed. A little bit like we didn't get Scotty Barnes unleashed at Florida State. He, he played a very limited uh, type role that Leonard Hamilton wanted him to. And then all of a sudden he gets to the Raptors. You're like, well, I didn't know Scotty Barnes could do this. Or, oh my gosh, Scotty Barnes got a 30 point game. Who would have thought Scotty Barnes was going to have a 30 point game you know in the NBA and it's 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 just a different game so that's the argument for jaden Ivey and and the matchup that i'm looking forward to i don't know what you think again they have to get to the elite eight but if purdue beats st peters and ucla beats north carolina to me the second best draft matchup after a duke gonzaga will be a purdue ucla and jaime haquez jr is a guy that that i think is underrated tough guy and i wonder if he'll get some reps on on uh, jaden Ivey to try to slow him down well, I think he's dealing with, like, an ankle injury. He is. So, so, so there's Ivy, a question mark. Not the guy. Yeah. <laughs> you want a guard with a tender ankle. Except he's so tough. Good point. Good point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, and I think that will be a, a, a very good game. It could be a high-scoring game, even though when you think of high-scoring, you don't think of, like, Big Ten teams. But you're right. I mean, I imagine Ivy in space. Ivy without... You know, Edie or, or, you know, Trivion Williams, who aren't necessarily floor spacers, and so I, I think that's that's why he has a chance, and that's why I feel like, I mean, everyone was so set, myself included, on these three bigs as the number one pick. I think if you came into the season and you didn't have like um, an idea, if you just didn't know any names, and you just watched college basketball and didn't, you know, know about anybody, then I think maybe Ivy could be the the number one pick, and I think we all have a tendency to have our guys who we like at the top of the season coming into the season, and if they, you know, maintain what we thought, then we're going to keep them at that particular spot. And so, I I don't think Ivy has been outside of the top four on anybody's big boards or mocks. But like you said, you were on it in November. He has a better shot than a lot of people actually think, and I feel like a strong tournament run could actually. Like make people really realize that okay maybe even though bigs are kind of like coming back in style in the nba i still think it's a perimeter oriented game and he is in my opinion by far the best perimeter player in this class
0: uh just a final word on Javari smith who had one of the worst games of his career three for 16 um in that loss i don't think this is going to affect his draft stock at all one one shooters have nights um Like like that. Steph Curry has nights like this. Um, the 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 record is clear. He can really shoot the basketball. One thing I'll actually say that actually encouraged me about Jabari Smith. Was that rebounding, defense, uh, passing? Like he stepped up all those other parts of his game uh, when his shot wasn't falling. And I think some of the question that scouts have had is, what else is he going to do to impact winning when 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 the, when his shot's not falling? And and while I do have concerns about him finishing at the rim, though he had maybe the dunk of the tournament uh, so you know he can finish at the rim but you know some questions about his ability to create his own shot off the bounce and, and what have you he needs to tighten up his handle or whatever I also actually he really competed in that game uh, even though it was, a, it was a blowout loss and he he tried to do other things and so I, I don't actually walk away discouraged at all about Jabari Smith Cade um, Cunningham Uh, wasn't good in the tournament. Franz Wagner had a terrible uh, NCAA uh, tournament. Scotty Barnes uh, didn't do much uh, in the NCAA tournament um, either, and uh, it's going to be okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one concern I have about him is I don't know if he can generate easy looks on his own as far as creating. seems like he has maybe a two-dribble limit, and he needs to be set up. And then, I mean, a a lot of people are blaming Auburn's guards it's fair, saying, like, you know, maybe if he had a different guard play, he'd be able to get a lot more easier looks. Um, and so I think, like, once he gets to the NBA, if, you know, if he has, like, let's say he goes to Detroit and he has Cade as his teammate. And even Killian, for example. Killian's a really good passer. Then that could really showcase his shooting even more. Because he did make, in my opinion, a lot of tough, contested threes this season. So... With a NBA point guard, you you never know that percentage could even he might even shoot 40 percent, just a long shot. But as a rookie from three, I mean that's how good of a shooter he
0: is. And, 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 and my concern, I would is love him in Detroit. By the way, that's where I that's yeah, where I that want to see Jamari Smith play.
1: That would be a pretty good fit, in my opinion. This is just my opinion. I think he needs to, in order for him to, I feel like maximize his potential. He may need to play a little bit like Dirk. Early in Dirk's career, he was all outside in. But then as he got stronger, it became inside out, and he became more of a weapon. And I would like to see Jabari with the same trajectory as he gets stronger, kind of start off the game in the post, kind of establish himself there, and then work his way out or come back in. And if he can combine that, because I think he has all the physical tools, he has the high arcing shot that's going to be tough to block in the low post. If he could add that to his game, then it's, the sky's definitely the limit for him.
0: Okay, let's talk about Bilt Bar. Uh, Bilt Bar has a new product, they're called Puffs. And if you haven't been missing out, they're amazing. Uh, Puffs are the first ever protein infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar, they're a treat and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite with incredible flavors like yummy, yummy cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie, so good. These are going to be your new favorites. All built bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Yes, puffs included. 100% real chocolate, low calorie, high protein. Replace your candy bars with these. They are better. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Go to built.com, scroll down to the macros chart. You'll be blown away. High protein, low cal, high fiber, low carb. Most built bars contain 130 calories, four grams of sugar four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar where you usually have around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, dozens of net carbs, mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They're all delicious, and new flavors are coming all the time. At Built, they are all about taste. They make it taste delicious first, then figure out how to make it healthy. I don't know how they do it, but they pull it off every time. Go to Built.com. use promo code LOCK15, get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. Okay, let's talk about Arizona. Uh, They're going to match up against Houston. And the six, Sweet Sixteen, I think that's going to be actually really tough. They 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 got by by the skin of their teeth, uh, in in the round to get to the Sweet Sixteen. Ben Matherin, I thought had the performance of the tournament so far um, there. And I've been a little bit of a Ben Matherin uh, skeptic. Not in that I think he shouldn't be a lottery pick, but when guys are talking about five, six, seven, I didn't see the ability for him to go create his shot enough. To get there, I thought he's going to be straight three and D. Shoot the three. Um, defensively, can defend multiple positions. Some straight line drives. You know, good in transition, but he he always seemed to kind of get himself in trouble when he started to try to get more creative or or try to create for himself. He took over the end of that. Uh, Arizona game, eleven of their last fifteen points. Did it with threes, um, offensive rebounds, uh, dunks. Just his will to win was was incredible. Uh, the toughness was there. He was creating for himself um, off the bounce. I thought it was a signature performance, and I'm not sure anybody like helped himself more. I mean, look, he's already in the lottery, but I think if you, like skeptics like me, now maybe like you argue after those four guys are off the board. You know, can Ben Matherin do that? Especially if he leads Arizona to to a championship, and we see repeat performances like this. If, if it's a one-off, maybe not. But if he if he does this, and and they end up being national champions or get to the Final Four, I could definitely see that buzz over maybe like an AJ Griffin, uh, you know, for example, or Johnny Davis, or uh, or uh, Jalen Duren, Duren, or whatever. Like I could see the I could see the push for Ben Matherin at five.
1: Yes, I, I agree 100%. One of my early scouting reports on Matherin. I saw the potential as a shooter, and it was weird because when I looked at his numbers, he got to the free throw line a decent amount of times, but it was all off like hustle and energy plays. Like He'll he'll get fouled going for offensive rebound, or or he'll get fouled cutting, but the knock that I had on him was I thought like, man, this guy has all the physical tools to be a 3 and D wing, but if he can just add some Creativity off the dribble and score, putting the ball on the floor. Then he is a top five pick. Now, can he sustain what he did against TCU? That's, you know, that's up in the air. But if he can add that to his game, and he's someone that I look at like I would love to see him work with like a Drew Hanlon, the trainer that has worked with Wiggins and and Tatum and those guys. Even like Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown wasn't a shot creator his freshman year at Cal. He had all these tools that you had to figure out. If he puts it together, he's going to be something special. And so when I look at Matherin, if I'm a general manager of a team, I'm saying, all right, we know he can, at the minimum, be a three and D transition finisher athlete. But if he can get some offensive creativity, he's definitely a top five pick. And so I'd have to you know, wonder if, if my training staff or if he has this work ethic that he can add that to his game, I I may take him over AJ Griffin just because you know the the health concerns and and the medicals but he he definitely helped himself I mean he may not have moved up a bunch of spots because he didn't have many spots to move up but I think that he showed that he has more to his game than he's been able to or than he's shown
0: well uh Christian Coloco also big uh big performance Dallin Terry another guy that I'm uh, really interested in you know all these guys I believe it or not I think even Terry could end up in the first round um, of this draft six seven seven foot wingspan guy who's only had a couple of turnovers in his last three games um, not a great offensive player from a scoring standpoint but really intriguing for his size and Coloco uh, i think it was 12 for 13 13 for 14 from the field uh, in that game he did get roasted uh, a little bit defensively um you know he doesn't play well against strength and muscle uh in the paint uh, but Arizona' is maybe a more loaded NBA draft team than i suspected coming into this season now um, for them and 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 i, I think that I, I think out of that region, you know, you know, Kansas brings some guys to the tables, too, man. I, I'm really hoping we'll get to see a Kansas-Arizona matchup in the Final Four. Yeah, I,
1: it, it's weird that they had, on one hand, you have arguably three guys that could be in the first round. You had two of them had just crazy outlier performances, but they still needed every ounce of that to beat TCU. So that's something that I'm, I'm kind of... You know, does that help Mike Miles? Even though he didn't have like the the greatest game, but Mike Miles kind of wills TCU. He he does everything that I mean, he makes them go. But overall, like I said, I think that um, that uh, uh, Matherin maybe is five to seven range now. And Coloco, I mean, some people say that he may have even had the, the, the best games because, you know, how often do you go 12 or 13 from the floor? And it's not like the it doesn't get all the attention. Uh, but it will be interesting to see if he can how he handles physicality, because Houston is a I mean, they're an athletic team. They're a little older team, but we'll, we'll see how
0: that matchup goes. You actually have a sleeper out of Houston. Uh, your sleeper for the week, um, and and I, I think you're the first draft guy that I that I've heard mentioned him as a draft prospect. So uh, for fans gonna kind of watching that 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 Houston Arizona matchup, who do you like uh, for Houston?
1: Kyler Edwards, um, and I've and I, I live in the Dallas area, so I've kind of seen his development over the years. But he's six four, can I think he can defend multiple positions? He's strong, and I, I had a chance to watch him. Live at the uh, AAC tournament last weekend, or maybe it was the weekend before last. And I just saw how he was able to get to the paint and make reads and dump offs. And he's not turning the ball over. The big question is his shooting. I mean, if you look at the raw numbers, they're, they're not good. I mean, they're in the 30s from field goal percentage to three point shooting percentage. And then he's shooting like seven attempts a game from three, despite shooting maybe like 31 or 32%. But what gives me hope is that. His junior year, he shot 41% from three on four and a half attempts per game. So maybe, and then I think he shot 40% like his freshman year at Texas Tech. So he's had like two years in the 40s and two years, I want to say mid 30s or lower. But if he can knock down open shots, I think he ends up becoming like this weapon that can play multiple positions in the NBA because he has the strength to defend up. and Then he has the passing instincts. He could play on or off the ball if the shot is falling. A sneaky pick. I don't know if he gets drafted, but I think that he could be one of these guys that later on down the line makes his way into the NBA after going the G League route and and just kind of developing. But he is a sleeper that I don't I don't think many people are talking about, and I I probably would not have really noticed him until I went and watched him play live in the AC tournament.
0: You like taste more at all? as well I know he's like 400 years old so that's that's obviously one of the things that knocks knocks against him but it, it feels like if he could shoot he's got a place in the NBA
1: yeah and but I think he's had like multiple injuries that could probably like red flag him but yeah he's a freak athlete
0: yeah I look at he's not a guy I think he'll go undrafted uh but a guy that ends up in a summer league uh maybe gets becomes a two-way G League call up down the road just just the sort of guy that like I would keep my eye on um, down down the road um, as well. You know who my
1: guy was that's like that? Uh, Jonathan Williams from Memphis. Mm -hmm. Even though he's 25 years old, so you kind of expect him to dominate, but he has the motor and just kind of like long, wiry, athletic, and he rebounds. He's someone that, um, you know, he's kind of like my guy that I kind of, I don't know if he's an NBA player,
0: but I kind of fell in love with watching him. He's the guy you want on your summer league roster. Not necessarily to use a draft pick on, but I, I want him on. I want him on that 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 summer league roster. All right. Well, he's Rafael Barlow, and uh, really appreciate all the the um, insight, uh, understanding about the the draft. Uh, looking forward. We'll we'll break down everybody uh, on Monday. the Guys, we thought helped their stock. Guys that we uh, thought hurt their stock. Uh, go over to NBABigBoard.com. Subscribe today. Um, get everything. And looking forward to another great week of college basketball weekend and and we'll be back next week like breaking down our final four guys and and projecting forward in the draft you listen to chad ford's nba big board on the lockdown podcast network aloha